0: What's up, Chicago? I'm Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. Illinois lawmakers have had a busy session. They've approved bills that impact everything from full day kindergarten to how gun manufacturers market firearms. This episode was originally going to be about the end of the legislative session, but they're still going. Here to tell us what is taking so long is WBEZ State House reporter Alex Degman. Alex, welcome back. Hey. So first off, last fall we talked about the veto sessions, but now we're in the spring legislative session. Tell me about the main function for this one.
1: Well, the spring legislative session is essentially where lawmakers are supposed to get everything done. Uh, This is where they do the Theoretically, the business for the people of Illinois, what they were elected for, they get together a budget, um, any bills that they want to pass throughout the course of the year. This is where they typically start and they spend about uh, you know, two, three days a week for a few months out of the year coming down to Springfield and doing that business and hopefully uh, they wrap up in time.
0: Hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They had set a deadline for themselves for May 19th to have all this done. Alas, they are still in session. Why? Well,
1: the the deadline, May 19th, uh, just for starters, um, it, it's, it, it's a deadline, but it's really not. They – They set deadlines for themselves to keep things moving. Basically, it's a self-imposed deadline so that they can try to get all their business done within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Uh, This time they just
0: responsible. Makes
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically when it works. (laughs) But uh, this time it didn't. They just have a lot of stuff that's still left unresolved, mainly with the state budget, Uh, usually with pieces of legislation. It doesn't cause them to go into overtime like this unless it's like a really, really important piece. But the budget, that's something that'll do it. And hmm. this is what's going on this time around. They're pretty close to a deal, but there are still some things that they that they need to work out.
0: So what what are some of the main sticking points that are keeping them from really making decisions about the budget right now?
1: Well, when the governor gave his budget address in February, things were sounding pretty good. The main forecasting arms that state government uses, uh, the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability and the governor's budget office, they had not yet come out with some of their revisions that said that the state wasn't going to make as much money next fiscal year as it did this year. Uh, April tax receipts were way down and they expected a little bit of a dip, but they didn't expect it to dip quite that much. So Mm. essentially there is less money to fund more priorities. Remember, the uh, COVID pandemic is over as of May. All the emergency orders have ended. So They're not the state's not really getting any more federal reimbursement money as they were. And there are starting to be some pressure points on some major priorities with majority Democrats. The main one uh, that we're talking about right now is a popular program to give health care to undocumented immigrants, a Medicaid style program that basically, for all intents and purposes, is just costing way more money than anybody thought it would. And right now they're trying to figure out what does this mean how are we going to pay for this where does the mm-hmm. money come from how are we going to how are we going to balance this
0: so who's backing that uh that healthcare bill for migrants
1: it's a pretty popular program but it is really going to be interesting to see how this plays out because nobody wants to cut this but it's mm-hmm. a program that cost about, it was expected to cost about $220 million this fiscal year. And it's projected to cost over a billion dollars next fiscal year. Mm. You know, that's a pretty significant jump. And that's even before, um, that's even before you talk about expanding the program as some advocates want to do, because right now the program covers undocumented residents that are 42 and older, but advocates want to expand it to cover everybody 19 and older so not only is there some uh, some disagreement over the numbers themselves but there's also disagreement about how to pay for it uh, the governor for example is in favor of the program he he likes okay. the program but at the same time he's largely punting to the legislature to figure out how to uh, pay for this because it's a legislative initiated program so yeah. so in his eyes let the legislature figure it out
0: yeah so is is there like a, a drop-dead deadline that they're working toward?
1: Yeah, there. well, there are a couple of actual deadlines that are coming up. First of all, the 31st, May 31st, is the deadline that they'd really like to hit because starting on June 1st, it takes more votes to pass anything. It takes a supermajority. Mm. So right now, if they were to pass a budget, it would take 60 votes. But come June 1st, it would take 71 votes. And it's usually – if you're in a supermajority like the Democrats are in both the House and Senate, you wouldn't think that that's a big deal. But there, as I mentioned, are some sticking points in this budget amongst Democrats. How are they going to pay for this health care program? How is that going to affect my priorities or like other priorities in the budget? So it could take it could, it could be a little bit of a challenge to get votes for it. So they'd like to pass it with the least vote threshold possible. Now, if they do go into June 1st, you know, that's fine because the fiscal year doesn't end until June 30th. Um, they really, really, really should have a budget in place by June 30th.
0: Mm. What happens June 1st that would cause this supermajority um, requirement to go into effect?
1: That is just in statute. Once you hit a certain point of the calendar year, uh, votes require a supermajority. That's, that's really all it is. It's just in state statute.
0: Okay. So what has happened in the past when they missed a deadline like this?
1: Believe it or not, this has happened a few times in the past. Um, I remember it happened uh, Well, actually almost a decade ago. The budget was late in 2013 by a few days. But then the um, the big thing was the budget impasse. That happened for almost 800 days during former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner's tenure. And during that time, there wasn't a budget for that whole time, but state government still had to run. It just got really expensive to do it because there weren't appropriations. These agencies still needed to buy things. They still needed to serve people. They still needed to do simple tasks like buy reams of paper. So they had to borrow to do it. Well, if you don't have a budget that says to the credit rating agencies, you know, you guys aren't being all that fiscally responsible. We're not, your your credit score is not that great. So we're going to downgrade you and we're going to downgrade you again. Ugh. And Illinois went through that a lot. So when that happens, uh, the bond rating takes a hit. Not everybody wants to lend you money. And those that do, do it at, at a cost. Yeah. So Illinois was just racking up all these interest charges and it took them a while to get out of it.
0: So um, the they'll be back in session today, hoping to knock all of this out before the holiday weekend. What needs to happen in order to get the budget passed?
1: Well, it looks like what's going to happen now is, well, first of all, this whole process has been done in working groups in both the House and Senate, and it's been done largely behind closed doors. Uh, In in years past, we've been able to get inklings like from leaders meetings and from people who were like privy to conversations, what's going on. But, you know, things are really locked down this time around. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to gauge what's going on. But I think what's going to happen is, There's largely going to be an agreement on the major framework, and then it's going to come out of one of the chambers, and then it's going to go over to the other one um, for what we call concurrence. Basically, they agree to everything that's in there, and then if they do that without really significantly changing it or anything, then it's going to go to the governor.
0: While they're still working through this process, lawmakers – did pass some other measures. I've been talking about those the last couple of days on our morning episodes. Give me some broad brushstrokes. I know there are a lot. Uh, maybe you can focus on three main ones that have been passed.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about um, all gender bathrooms. So this one is on his way to the governor. Um, he's going to consider a measure that all it does is it sets standards for businesses if they want to install or build all-gender multi-occupancy restrooms. Right now, there aren't rules in the state that that outlined this, that outlined how you would construct something like that. And if a business does have all gender restrooms, they're single use. So yeah. that's all this does. It just provides parameters if a business wants to do this. It doesn't require them to do it. It doesn't require them <laughs> to retrofit existing restrooms. Um, but it has caused a lot of it, – it caused a lot of consternation because there was some misunderstanding about what it actually did.
0: Yeah, so, I mean the way you're describing it, it sounds – pretty benign. Um, so actually, I have a clip that I want to play from that debate on the Senate floor. It was mixed by our colleague Meha Ahmad. And in order, we're going to hear from state senators Andrew Chesney, Mike Simmons and Neil Anderson. This is woke. This is radical and is out of touch
1: with virtually everybody in both my district and your district. I
0: have been asked about this
1: legislation by hundreds of constituents who have written in and who have called and ask that we support this piece of legislation so that Illinois will step into the 21st century. I'm telling you right now, if a guy walks in there, I'm going to beat the living piss out of him. Yes! Yeah. Yes! Yeah. yeah! So, this is going to cause violence, and it's going to cause violence from dads like me. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird hearing that again, for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen a reaction like that before?
1: Uh, I, I'm thinking and I don't know that I've ever actually heard a senator threaten violence on the floor like that before. And I, and I do want to, and I do want to mention that, um, the voice that you heard, uh, in the middle of that montage was, uh, Senator Mike Simmons. He's a Democrat and he actually had asked that Neil Anderson's comments, the senator who you heard last uh, threatening violence, he requested that those comments be stricken from the record because, you know, as a gay senator himself, his thought is like, how how would somebody feel if they were to read the record and they saw those comments? Um, I, I don't I don't think they did because, you know, it, it happened. That, that's, it that's correct. What was said. I mean, it's yeah. the
0: truth. It is actually what happened. Yeah.
1: So. That was one thing that passed, um, despite the consternation. Uh, There was another one uh, that's basically lawmakers trying to tackle safety issues on CTA. They approved a measure that would allow CTA to suspend riding privileges for uh, problematic passengers. Ah, yes. And the bill outlines what problematic means, the process that the board has to go through in order to suspend those privileges and – It it does a couple of other things, too. It gives uh, reduced fare cards to people who have uh, who are the victims of domestic and sexual assaults. It gives um, reduced fares to young people that are enrolled in career oriented programs. And it also has uh, electric vehicle parameters. They want uh, CTA, Pace, and Metro to buy only electric vehicles starting in 2026.
0: Wow, that's doing a lot.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. And then um, I know you asked for three. There's a lot more. So I want to talk about a (laughs) full-day kindergarten. Yeah. Um, Full-day kindergarten. Uh, Basically, if you're a public school district in Illinois by 2027, you got to figure out how to offer full-day kindergarten. And if you're a district that falls below a certain funding threshold based on evidence-based funding, you'll get an extra couple of years. Uh, But essentially, this is just Mm. lawmakers saying that early childhood education is important. Uh, It's really difficult for parents to juggle the half-day. So Let's make this change. And just uh, and they did add an amendment later to clarify that as long as districts offer full day, they can also offer half day.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for running those down for us. Um, I know there has been a lot of discussion also over firearms. One of the bills targeting gun manufacturers passed and another one is currently stalled. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, the piece of legislation that passed is regarding uh, people actually – Uh, suing gun manufacturers and suing gun stores in certain instances. Uh, That measure basically brings gun shops in line with consumer protection laws that um, said the, the, the law allows people to sue if they run afoul of advertising regulations. Lawmakers want to make it illegal to advertise weapons to minors and illegally form militias around the state. And if the bill passes and a regular citizen like you or me Mm -hmm. think that these people are engaging in deceptive advertising practices that they're not supposed to be, that allows you to bring them to court if -hmm. you so choose. Uh, The one that the one that you're talking about that is still in limbo, they're still working on is uh, actually there's a few things in this bill. But the main thing that lawmakers are really harping on is changes to uh, firearm relinquishment if you're the subject of an order of protection. So let's say, you know, I want to file an order of protection against somebody that has weapons. The way that it stands right now, if it goes through, that person would have to relinquish their weapons to somebody else who has a firearm owner's ID card and who's in good standing. Uh, but people had a problem with that because it could theoretically be somebody in the same household. It could be a family member. So this bill mm-hmm. says... If you're the subject of an order of protection, you have to give your weapons to law enforcement instead. So that's the big thing in that one. It also sets up an insurance task force to study whether uh, policies that are available in the state are good enough, essentially. And if you want to buy prepackaged mm-hmm. explosives like Tannerite, for example, uh, if you use it for target practice, you'd need a FOI card for that. And something like I, – I do want to mention this real quick because it's overlooked in the legislation. Uh, the state has a first-time weapon offender program. So it uh, basically only applies to people under 21 though. So if you're a nonviolent first-time weapons offender, mm-hmm. you can uh, get involved in that and uh, possibly go for reduced charges and go through programs and things like that. But this bill would expand that to everybody and make everybody who is a nonviolent first-time weapons offender eligible for that program. <sighs>
0: Question there. With a weapon being a firearm, what would be an example of a non-violent weapon offense?
1: Based on my limited understanding, my guess would be if like if you were in just simply in possession of a weapon. Um, So like if you had a weapon, but you weren't supposed to, like if you like if you're 18 and you have a weapon, but it's not registered or you don't have a FOID card or something like that.
0: Okay, so we talked about that one piece of gun legislation that's still stalled. Anything else still stalled or in limbo?
1: Well, um, do you want to talk about the Bears for a little bit? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Well, this is something that just kind of – we've been talking about this a lot all session as the Bears are trying to see if it makes sense to move from Soldier Field to a new stadium and entertainment complex that they would build Uh in Arlington Heights. And something finally popped up within the last uh, week or so, with a week or so to go, a measure from State Representative Marty Moylan, who's a Democrat out in Des Plaines, introduced a measure that would basically give the Bears a little bit of tax certainty to move out there while also helping make Chicago whole to help pay off Mm -hmm. the debt incurred 20-plus years ago when Soldier Field got renovated. That's right. Yeah. So uh what it would do is it would freeze the property assessment for Arlington International Racecourse. So whatever the property value is now, it would remain that way for a set number of years. So that gives the bears the tax certainty. But then in return, the measure says that there's going to be like a board, a board composed of local and statewide elected officials that are going to gather every year and work out with the bears How much they're going to pay to places like Arlington Heights and Palatine, Rolling Meadows, Wheeling to make up for the fact that the Bears aren't paying increased property taxes on this property. So Hmm. in most instances, like most uh, government subsidy areas like that, uh, they don't have to work out those deals. So this is the Bears trying to, you know, I I guess, move the ball forward in that arena. And it would also address Soldier Field. They would add a $3 per ticket surcharge to every ticket sold, and that money theoretically would go um, back toward paying off the bonds that were incurred when Soldier Field was constructed. I think that debt is still hundreds of millions from about 20 years ago.
0: Alex Degman is a State House reporter for WBEZ. Alex, thank you.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: As the legislative session comes to a close, you can read and hear more of Alex's reporting at WBEZ.org. Plus, as I mentioned, I will keep you posted as I have been here on The Rundown, especially during our morning episodes. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Cleve for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist was the engineer for this episode, and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. If you love The Rundown, rate and review us. Tell us about it. It helps more people find the show. You can also help more people find the show by telling them about the show. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning.